Atypical Vart is created by Rabbi Ari Koretsky, host of Jews You Should Know, a great podcast available on all platforms. You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Avram Kibalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. A couple of weeks ago, I was reconnecting with a student, Jacob, who I hadn't sat with since prior to COVID. As he caught me up on his life, he told me about his astoundingly unique summer job. Apparently, he is excellent at a computer game called Destiny. Also, apparently, the game enjoys a worldwide, almost cult-like following. Gasp. I had never heard of it. And someone in the broader community reached out to Jacob on one of their message boards. This man told Jacob that he really wanted to advance his status in the game, presumably unlocking various benefits but didn't have enough time or skill to do so. Instead, he would pay Jacob to the tune of thousands of dollars over the course of the summer to log in as him and enhance his playing profile. When I heard this story, I was incredulous at Jacob's good fortune, earning a small mint to play a game he loves, but more so that anyone would actually pay another person to register achievements that he knows to be artificial. The great pleasure of success in a game or in any endeavor, is a direct outgrowth of the effort we invest. Perhaps in the game of destiny, one could outsource the tedious minutia and reach their goals. But in the realm of personal growth, to reach one's life destiny, outsourcing is not only unsatisfying, it is categorically impossible. One of the most intense and early arriving set of holidays in recent memory has just concluded. Fasting and feasting, Praying and prancing, we embraced the full gamut of emotions and activities. But at its heart, the Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot Triumvirate orients us towards one primary objective, change. Human change is a complex, halting, and variegated process. It can be precipitated by quiet contemplation or exuberant inspiration, by deprivation or even by abundance all motifs that, variously, populate the fall holiday landscape. But for change to stick, to last, there simply is no substitute for hard work, replete with false starts and frustrations. The Torah's very construction drives this point home. On Simchat Torah, the final day of the holiday cycle, we both conclude and commence reading the Torah. The final words of the final Parsha extol the greatness of Moshe and how he performed great deeds and wonders before the eyes of all of Israel. The Talmud explains that this alludes to Moshe having smashed the first set of tablets in front of the Jewish nation when he descended from the mountain and found them worshiping the golden calf. This is how the Torah ends. How anticlimactic. We then immediately commence chanting the Torah anew from the very first Parsha. Bereshit begins benignly enough with God's creation of the world and of mankind. But already by the third chapter, world history has been derailed. Adam and Eve violate the single injunction they have been enjoined to observe. They are forced from Eden and beset with the life-altering burdens of grinding work, birth pains, and, it would seem, even death itself. Only one chapter later, we encounter history's first fratricide, and actually the first homicide altogether. Soon after, in next week's Parsha, We will read of a cataclysmic flood triggered by theft and immorality, and then of the Tower of Babel, where a collection of mortals attempt to overthrow God. 
All of this overwhelms us with an unassailable truth. The moral life is difficult. Spiritual growth demands effort and entails frequent failure. And most saliently, it cannot be outsourced. Nor do we want it to be. As the Talmud tells us, a person prefers one measure of their own produce to nine measures produced by another. Our hard-won achievements certainly mean more to God, who, we believe, is interested in our process more than our product. But, as it seems the destiny delegator didn't appreciate, they mean far more to us as well. Shabbat Shalom. We started a new program this semester called Seniors and Spirits. Because college seniors are of age, we're able to build an experience involving adult beverages and Jewish learning. Each month we feature a different concoction tied thematically to the Jewish calendar. The first session in September, we served apple teenies before Rosh Hashanah. And last night we enjoyed etrog infused vodka. Since our goal is to learn as we imbibe, I shared a question about this week's Torah portion as it relates to alcohol. As Noah disembarks from the ark, where he has been confined for many months, his first productive activity is planting a vineyard through which he generates wine and becomes intoxicated. The ensuing story involves him becoming exposed in humiliated fashion and, according to the Talmud, results in a deeply disturbing violation by his own offspring. But returning to the initial planting, the relevant verse, and Noah began, or Vayachel, to be a master of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. Rashi, quoting the Midrash, immediately notes that the word Vayachel, which means began, also is related to the word Chol, as in profane. Read differently, the verse could be saying that Noah profaned or debased himself by planting a vineyard. And yet, as I challenge the students, do we not recognize that wine plays a central role in almost every major Jewish ritual? A wedding, Brit Milah, Passover Seder, even weekly Shabbat meals, each of these features alcohol prominently. Why is Noah censored for regenerating the world with vital plants? Pete Seeger did not invent the core lyrics of the famous song, To Everything There Is a Season, popularized by the birds on their 1965 album, Turn, Turn, Turn. Rather, he borrowed them from King Solomon's book of Kohelet, which we recently recited over the Sukkot holiday. Fundamentally, the poem conveys the notion that every emotion and behavior can enhance or detract from spiritual goals, depending on its timing. We understand intuitively that both dancing at a funeral or crying at a wedding would be horribly inappropriate, but each reaction in its setting offers the highest expression of human yearning. Rashi continues to explain that Noah's fault lay not in planting a vineyard, but in doing so first prior to any other more elemental needs. His timing was wrong. Timing, in turn, reflects priorities and values. Rather than first reconstituting the world and only then producing wine to employ in service of higher values, he perceived the alcohol as an end of to itself, worthy of independent pursuit. Like all material objects, wine inherits reputability when it is subordinated to greater spiritual purposes. The medieval commentator Sephorno shifts the focus away from Noah's timing to his mistaken self-definition. As a pure, righteous man, in the Torah's earlier rendering, he should not have been the one lowering himself to plant a vineyard. In this reading, the failing is again one of misapplied priorities, only in the realm of personal status instead of planning. In a headline-driven, click-baiting global environment, nuance generally yields to blanket pronouncements. 
From a Jewish perspective, however, few commodities or ideals are uniformly virtuous or corrupt. Rather, it is our judicious application of them that determines their quality. Who am I? What ought I be doing? And when? These self-reflective considerations are the mark of wisdom and a gateway to next-level living. Shabbat Shalom. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. 